1: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
2: Call Michael now: zero four one nine eight three two thousand.
3: The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by Airgrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it.
4: Tuesday morning, the twentieth of December. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till eleven a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The closure of the emergency department at Our Lady's Hospital in Navan is imminent. In order to get an understanding of what is being planned and consider to make this transformation or reconfiguration happen, LMFM has submitted a number of Freedom of Information requests. Today we can report on one of those requests, which was for 47 specific emails sent to and from the HSE's Office of the National Director of Acute Operations. Unfortunately, we can't tell you anything about what was written in those 47 emails. This is because our Freedom of Information request has been refused. What we can report to you, however, is the reasons for refusing our request and why it is believed it is in the public interest to deny us the opportunity of telling you what is planned for Navin Hospital. Each of these emails was written between September and October of 2021 more than a year ago and just before, well as we understand it anyway the HSE raised grave concerns with Minister Stephen Donnelly about patient safety at Our Lady's Hospital in Navin and that was in November of 2021. The reasons for not releasing the 47 emails to LMFM has been explained in a lengthy document that that begins by explaining that several published reports over the last 12 years, commissioned by the Department of Health and the HSE, show that acute services at Our Lady's Hospital, Navin, are unsustainable and require change. Securing the Future of Smaller Hospitals, a Framework for Development, is a report that was published in 2013 and they say that this is the solution, the required change. And we know that that solution, that change which that report proposes is taking the emergency department and ICU services out of the hospital. A hospital without emergency department and ICU services is called a Model 2 hospital. The correspondence we've received says, removing these services now will be the last steps in moving Navin to a Model 2 hospital because many of the changes necessary have already been implemented. But we know that there has been concern about Drogheda's capacity to take extra patients safely. So, the Minister for Health commissioned a review of the process to close the emergency department in Navan. And now these documents tell us that the purpose of that review is to give people the assurance that these changes, when they happen, will be safe it is very clear that these changes are going to happen and they will happen soon. A final report from that review team, we are told in this correspondence, is expected soon, which seems an odd thing to say, given our understanding that the Minister received uh, the final report from the review team in early October. 47 emails passed back and forth during September and October twenty-one at the HSE's Office of the National Director of Acute Operations regarding the downgrading of Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, LMFM has been denied access to all 47 documents because we are told these documents deal how reconfiguration of the hospital in Navan is being managed. Release of the records concerned would disclose positions taken and to be taken, as well as plans that are yet to be finalised and implemented. We are also told that the HSE is about to implement the final changes in Navan to make it a level two hospital. But if these documents were to be made public, the information could result in the community asking will this actually address patient safety and will it improve the safety of healthcare delivery? If these 47 emails were to be released, to LMFM, the concern is it could, and I quote, have a significant adverse effect on the HSE and Department of Health's joint management of the reconfiguration process in Navin. That worry is because, we are told, of the impact this information being made public could have on relations with all stakeholders involved. The reasons for denying LMFM access to the 47 emails about Navin are spelled out for us. One paragraph reads, If details of the discussions, processes and reports on the management of this highly sensitive matter were to become public before the issue has been concluded, this could severely impact the ongoing relationship between clinicians and HSE leadership, which is based on mutual trust, and who share a common goal of resolving any concerns of patient safety. Furthermore, it says the release of these records at this point in time could cause significant disruption to the current decision-making review process to close the emergency department and remove the ICU, a process which they say has not been concluded and details of which have not been made public. Access to these emails, we are informed would involve the disclosure of the detail of the draft discussions, communication and feedback and positions still being undertaken where consultations are ongoing and opinions and advice are still being sought from various HSE leaders, clinicians and experts as well as senior leadership in the Department of Health, deliberations that are ongoing. If these details become known publicly, the result could be that it would hinder the work of the review of closing Navin's emergency department. We are told the review team will recommend how to take the final steps necessary for Navin to become a level two hospital, one without an emergency department or ICU. The 47 emails are not being released to us, we are told, because LMFM would become aware of a significant decision that the HSE and the department proposes to make and that the radio station would make that decision known publicly to you. As mentioned earlier, the final report of the review of how to downgrade Navin's hospital is said to be with Minister Stephen Donnelly since the beginning of October, but the correspondence we've received this week says the review is unfinished, and it appears that there is not agreement between the review team's members. We are told there are contrasting opinions on the matter. Unquote. We are also told... The emails contain details about patient safety concerns. Putting those concerns into the public domain, we are told, would be contrary to the public interest because it could and I quote, reasonably be expected to cause worry, confusion and possibly resistance to change. Resistance to change. It's an interesting turn of phrase. What they're saying it appears to be that if LMFM is given access to these emails, if we find out what the plans are for closing the emergency department in Navan and removing its ICU, you might decide, if you were to hear what the HSE is saying about this, that you do not want the emergency department or the ICU to be taken out of Navan and you might even try to prevent it from happening. What you need to hear, we are told, is clear and concise reasoning for closing the emergency department and ICU. You need to be reassured that these changes are for the benefit of all of the community. The release of these emails to LMFM, we are told, could lead to increased levels of worry within the community. And that could be reasonably expected to cause significant harm to the safe management by the HSE of closing the emergency department and removing ICU. LMFM is told, and removing ICU. LMFM is told, reconfiguration is now in the final stages and that the plan to remove emergency department and ICU services from Navin may be harmed if LMFM was to be given sight of the 47 emails we requested. That is because the flow of information between the HSE and the stakeholders involved, including clinicians and other relevant staff, as well as the community, would become public knowledge. There is also a worry that releasing these emails to LMFM could harm the trust that there is between all of the stakeholders. We don't know why or how that trust could be harmed. We've just been told that there is a concern that trust between all of the stakeholders could break down. This concern has contributed to the decision not to grant LMFM access to the 47 emails in question. The correspondence to us says this would be a significant harm given the nature and impact of patient safety issues at the current Navin Hospital and one which is likely given the reliance on continuing a cooperative and trusting relationship between the HSE and its staff with any potential significant harm to this process being contrary to the public interests. We don't know what is actually said in these emails that could potentially cause significant harm to the cooperative and trusting relationship between the HSE and its staff. We have simply been told we are not getting the emails and that a concern About a breakdown in trust is one of the reasons why we'll be talking about more of those concerns
3: with some local representatives in just a moment or two. The Michael Reed Show, brought to you by AirGrid, managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity. When and where they need it.
4: Now, we'll get some reaction to our opening report uh, today with uh, TDs in County Meath. We had hoped uh, that all of uh, the TDs would be represented on uh, the programme uh, today. Johnny Girk is, is with us representing Sinn Fein. Patterto Bean is with us uh, representing Two. Uh We had asked uh, that the two ministers in uh, the county, Finna Falls, Thomas Byrne and Finnegales, Damien English, might like uh, to react to our opening piece uh, today, but neither minister responded. But thank you to Peter Tobin and Johnny Gurk for taking the time to be with us on uh, the programme this morning. Johnny Gurk, what do you make of what you've been hearing?
0: I think um, it's a stress, uh, but it's no surprise that the HSC will not release the information about their plans. They they say it's not in the public interest to do so, and if they did release the files that it would add to people's worry and would create opposition to their plan, what do they think, Michael, withholding the information will do? You know, it will further create suspicion that the HSE has no intention of engaging in good faith. They're withholding vital information for the future of our health services in need. And I think, Michael, that Stephen Donnelly needs to get a grip. The, the the buck stops with him, Michael. And the other thing, Michael, that I found interesting there in your report was, you know, the, the department confirmed to us in, in, in a parliamentary question, Michael, that the minister... Um, has the working group review since the 8th of October, and they seem to say, Michael, in your uh, report there, that they didn't have it completed. So, are they, are they trying to undermine um, Stephen Donnelly every time they open their mouth, Michael, or um, are they doing it on purpose, or what is the story? I don't know.
4: Okay, man, that sounds uh, a little bit muddled, understandably, I would think. Peter Tobin, what are your thoughts on it?
5: Yeah, just, first of all, just to congratulate uh, yourself and LMFM for submitting these FOIs. Uh, it is absolutely incredible uh, that the HSC have refused Uh, to give details in relation to this. Um, The administration of this country should be a transparent uh, action. Uh, Citizens who are paying for the public services and for these public servants to work uh, should be able to know exactly on what basis these decisions are made. And, you know, not only are they trying to withhold the information, but they actually, in their letter to you, quite incredibly states that the reason for the lack of transparency would because one it would discommode the stakeholders so in other words the truth would cause a problem between the stakeholders and the truth would would lead to a lack of trust you know usually trust is based on stakeholders being truthful with each other and the hsc see the truth as a, as a as a danger in relation to that trust and secondly that it would cause worry to Uh, The citizens, um, because the information um, being made public would, would, you know, have on um, would be able would give information that would cause worry to citizens in this area, which would have the effects potentially of scuppering their plans to close the ED. So, in in many ways, that element of what you've just reported is very clear in saying that the HSE are hiding information. One because. It would lead to the slower process of their closing the A&E because people would see problems within it. They'd see potentially a threat to the health of patients in the in the area. And two, because some of the stakeholders would balk at the idea of closing it if they knew the truth. Um, you know, it shows a HSE, a law unto themselves, um, you know, with no control over them. The idea that you have a report that I spoke to the minister about in the doll who told me he had the report and told me that he wanted to publish the report. And now we're told that the report is not actually complete, <clears throat> that the final report has yet uh, to be complete and submitted uh, to the minister. You know, how anybody could have faith in the HSE, given the damage that's been done right across the country, you know, in, in, in just two days after the bypass happened in Navin, I got a report to say... The three patients were taken from Meath in an ambulance, Navin A&E was bypassed, they were brought to Drada, they were triaged in Drada, and because Drada was so full, they were then brought by ambulance back to Navin Hospital. So we have confusion which is leading to negative patient outcomes as a result of the decisions these guys are making. And we have no political authority over them to hold them to account or to change their actions in any way. It's it's a nightmare for the people of this region.
4: And that probably is the bottom line. The actions are not going to change. It's very clear, uh, I think, looking at these documents, uh, that there is uh, the intention of closing the emergency department, and uh, it's not as if it's open for discussion.
5: There's definitely the intention there, but what I will say something uh, over the last while, it, the HSE has become uh, more isolated in its actions. There's no doubt about that. You know, yesterday we had 760 people on trolleys, which I think equals the record that was ever. Uh, had before, um, and we have 17 consultants coming out in Drogheda saying that the HSE's decisions are wrong, and the, the Mullingar figure for consultants writing a letter to say that the HSE is wrong has gone up to 10 in recent times. We've also got hundreds of staff now, uh, and GPs in County Meads, who have signed a petition opposing the closure. So, you know, amongst the political class, amongst the medics and the professionals in, in, the, uh, in, in the relevant areas... and amongst the people, Mm. the HSE are extremely isolated at the moment. Now, it will take political courage um, uh, from um, Stephen Donnelly to stand up to these guys, and they will ride roughshod over his uh, authority until he calls them to account, and that's the worry we have uh, in Meade at the moment, that we won't have that uh, authority by Stephen Donnelly.
4: Okay. I'll come back to that, uh, because I think it gives... uh, uh picture that probably uh, isn't correct about motivation um, but let me go back to uh, johnny girk uh, and those record trolley figures in hospitals yesterday uh, it seems by all accounts it's going to get worse going into the winter months
0: yeah michael and i mean if there was ever a time michael to invest in Avon hospital and take the pressure off um, our lady of lords and take the pressure off connolly and take the pressure off Cavan and take the pressure off mullingara it seems to be now I, um, just go back Michael to what happened in Limerick Michael that there's a group now Michael um, the, the, the Midwestern uh, hospital campaign group they've they come on again now Michael they have a campaign going in, in, in that area to open up Ennis and Nina again because of the chronic overcrowding in Limerick and it shows you Michael that they were promised a centre of excellence, they were promised all these things mm. the same thing that they, and the same words Michael they're talking reconfiguration, they were talking the same words that they're talking about, and look at what's happening in Limerick, the longest waiting times and, and we didn't even really come into the worst of the winter yet, Michael, and uh, these are the worst numbers on record.
4: 92 people on trolleys in Limerick yesterday.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's, Michael, um, that's a lot to do with, Michael, the closing of Ennis and Nina definitely has a lot to do with it. It'll be interesting, Michael, in a month's time to see if they give us the figures how many hospitals actually bypass Navan that would have normally went to Navan. Um, since, since this happened Michael and it, 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 Stephen Donnelly and the government Michael needs the buck stops with them Michael we can blame the HSE mm-hmm. the HSE are trying to do this Michael since 2013 the only one that can stop this is, is, is Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and the Minister for Health
4: Right these documents talk about uh, the various steps uh, to completing the reconfiguration of uh, the hospital and that many of them have already been taken and I, I imagine that includes the protocol uh, this week uh, and indeed uh, the other ambulance bypass protocol uh, to do with stroke patients and uh, so on. Uh, It seems that the final piece of the jigsaw, if you like, is to close the emergency department and the ICU now. Yeah, yeah, but
0: it's, it's very that clear that that's this that 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 strategy, strategy, Michael. It's not happening by accident, Michael. That's strategy. Keep downgrading your services, Michael, where they can eventually say it's not safe, Michael, and then um, make the people feel like that they need to transfer these patients at all. Instead of investing and making Navin safe, whatever it took, Michael, that's what needs to be done, and, and that's what should be done.
4: Okay. Uh, And maybe you'd uh, take up on that point, Peter Tobin, because uh, it feeds into what you were saying uh, about the motivation of uh, the HSE, which I find very difficult to understand. Surely uh, patient care is the only thing that they're interested in, in a hospital that is under-resourced. And while you might say uh, it would be able to deal with these patients if it was invested in, I don't think that the motivation of the people deciding to close it is anything other than uh, hoping for the best possible outcomes for patients?
5: Well, it, it's, it's hard to, to agree with that um, and the reason being is because I've just got a text from a person to say that they were on um, in the A&E waiting room for 20 hours and drawed AE last night with a suspected blood clot. We know that in certain A&Es around the country people are waiting up to five days uh, for a bed and that we have uh, figures now that's estimated that 360 people uh, die on an annual basis due to hospital and A&E overcrowding. And the amazing figure of 75,000 people last year going to an A&E, waiting, and leaving what I've been treated because of the pressure that it's under. Mm. Um, and the figures that we've in a 2 found out last year to show that there were 105,000 adverse incidents happening in hospitals around the country and that's people who are being damaged as a result of the, the lack of proper treatment and in some cases being disabled and in some cases dying as a result of that so i have no confidence over the senior HSE management in terms of the delivery of a safe health service at all around the country one of the problems i have is is that the key performance indicators for the HSE are after a patient crosses the thresholds of a hospital uh, or a, an A&E. So in other words, they don't measure what's happening to people before they actually get in to see a doctor. Um, and it's, it's that lack of measurement of those people who are not getting to see doctors in a timely fashion in A&Es and in GPs and, and, and elsewhere that means the focus of the HSE is not on that aspect. Uh, and you know that aspect is a key element of people maintaining good health and trying to get better. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a serious crisis here um, within the HSE. The HSE are, are running a plan that was designed in 2013. And you and I know that, you know, Mead and Loud has changed significantly since 2013. The population has radically increased. Uh, maybe by as much as sixty to 70,000 in our region uh, since 2013. That plan is out of date, and the idea that they would continue to implement this out-of-date plan uh, is incredible. But again, the truth is they're allowed to do so because their political masters allowed them to do it. You know, I've asked Damien English and Thomas Byrne on your show and in the Doll a number of times to delete the line in the 2013 framework uh, document to say that Navin should be reduced to a level two hospital. Mm. If the political masters deleted that line, the HSC would have no authority to proceed in the manner that they're doing. OK, uh, but there's uh,
4: several reports going over 12 years that say that that's what happens or should happen. And would it not be better to wait 20 hours and uh, to be seen then by a doctor who has the resources uh, to treat you effectively than to wait 20 hours in a hospital that can't cope with your condition?
5: If, if there were a hospital with doctors and the resources necessary to treat uh, people an argument could be made in in those terms but there aren't and like the the truth of the matter is that um you know for very very serious issues like stroke like major head trauma from an accident you know like a major heart attack you know we understand that there are probably hospitals that are better suited to treating people in relation to that but as as rory hanley who's the pro of the save Navan hospital campaign has said for many years that a and mostly deal with the grannies with pneumonia. So these are the low-level issues that are very serious but need, need proper care. And if those grannies with pneumonia can get into an AE and have a backup of an ICU, that means those a can treat those people properly, and those patients don't end up in the Lyccedrada or the Matter uh, or Bowman and so therefore they're not causing uh, problems and stress in on those hospitals uh, as a result um so you know different A&Es have different roles to play all of them, if they're well resourced, can keep the stress and the pressure down on the system uh, in the whole region. Mm. And that's what we're arguing for. And, you know, if the HSC think that, you know, they're going to find it easy to proceed with the closure, with the last step, as, as they say it in the documents that they've given to you, they've got another thing coming because, you know, you know I was quite amazed that the last hospital meeting we had just uh, uh, less than a fortnight ago, yep. the room was packed with people uh, from, from me who are you know, determined to fight this, and we had hundreds of people standing in minus two degrees uh, last Monday outside of, uh, of the hospital. The determination by the people of Meath is massive, and if Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael continue with what they're doing, they'll find that they will have as many TDs as, as they have in Roscommon. When they closed Roscommon a e they'll have none, because people won't uh, tolerate this. I'm driving around Navin at the moment and mm. I see these 8 by 4 posters by from Damien English wishing people a happy Christmas and I'm thinking in my head this guy will be better served uh, serve the people of me, that if he actually got up off his behind and start fighting for the hospital and make sure that the, that the, okay. the, that the HSC management are pushed okay. back upon and that we have a health service that we can trust in okay. the years in the future.
4: No, I, I'm sure Damien English would say that he is fighting for the hospital uh, as uh, I'm sure you'll uh, agree. Yeah. Johnny Girk, uh, what about uh, this line in these documents uh, about uh, the relationship between clinicians and the HSC leadership? We're being told that not only could it have an an impact on the relationship between the doctors and the HSE management, but it, it could severely impact uh, on uh, that relationship. What do you make of that?
0: I don't know, Michael, but when you were 17 consultants, Michael, from Our Lady of doors Hospital, uh, saying that it's not safe <coughs> to, to send any more patients to Navan the HSE are uh, um, rock shodding over that and sending um, patients extra patients to draw it the next day after the consultants um, you don't have to release um, the, the freedom of information request to you Michael to know that what they're doing Michael they're they're they're, they're um, they're not doing what the consultants are saying um, without releasing that freedom of information, Michael. So the day after, Michael, or a couple of days after, the consultants said that Drahada wasn't um, fit to take mm. these patients. What did they do, Michael, the HSE? to divert more patients to Drahada. So I don't think it's time to do, Michael, with your freedom of information, Michael. And I, I find it Michael, astonishing that the, that the HSE won't let... Gives the freedom of information <clears throat> to yourselves, Mike, or Michael to Aroctus members like myself, Michael. Mm. I've constantly asked Stephen Donnelly, apologising, Michael, to us all the time for not keeping us up to date, but he still does it. And um, the following week, Michael, okay, they, they, they won't release, Michael, astonishing. Uh, because it would lead to the resistance from the people of Mead what do they think it's going to do Michael what is it doing um, when, okay. you, when, well, when there's a vacuum there p-
4: people listening to us are better off without this information uh, apparently and I'm sure they'll tell us what they think of that we have to leave it there for the moment but thank you both uh, indeed uh, for joining us founder and leader of Aintu Peter Tobin and Sinn Féin TD Johnny Gurk uh, as mentioned earlier on uh, we did ask uh, Minister Damien English and Minister Thomas Byrne if they also wanted to respond to that report uh, this morning but we uh, we didn't uh, receive a response from either of the ministers
3: cool. The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it
1: On the 28th of December 1972 3 No warning bombs exploded in Beltorbro County Cavan Colones County Monaghan and Pettigo, County Donegal Two children Patrick Stanley who was just 16 years of age and Geraldine O'Reilly who was just 15 years of age were killed in the Bell bombing, and, tragically, Pat McCabe also died on the fourth of January 1973 when he fell from a roof he was repairing that was damaged in the clonus bomb. Numerous other people were injured to such an extent that they required hospitalization. We are seeking assistance to identify the person depicted in a photo of, it of the driver of the stolen car as compiled by the guard at the checkpoint at Hadeln Bridge. To identify the person depicted in a photo of, it of the person who was the driver of the car stolen from Main Street, Bell as compiled by a number of civilian witnesses. To identify the driver and occupants of the car stolen from Main Street, Bell Turbot, as per the description provided by a number of civilian witnesses. To identify the individuals who were in Bell Turbot on the 28th of December 1972, one of whom was wearing a distinctive Dunlop jacket. For information in relation to the whereabouts of the registration plates from the Lagoon Blue 4 Cortina, registration number BIA477, which was stolen from Bell on the 28th of December 1972, which have never been recovered. To identify the man who was observed driving a stolen Morris 1100 in Northern Ireland on the 28th of December 1972, who was described as having missing fingers. And any additional information which may assist Garsh Connor with our investigation.
4: Now, that's Chief Superintendent Alan McGarvin giving some uh, details of uh, the 1972 Bell bombings and really remarkable uh, the information that was given at that press conference yesterday and on crime call on uh, television last night uh, for that matter margaret irwin of uh, justice for the forgotten joins us a very good morning to you margaret and thanks for taking the time to be with us on the programme today good
6: morning michael thank uh, you for having me on it was a wealth
4: of information wasn't it 50 years on since this uh, atrocity yes, nine sus- extraordinary Nine suspects uh, listed. Descriptions of, of those people, uh, some photo fits, a, a number of cars identified, and indeed the reg plates of uh, those cars.
6: Yes, that's right. Well, of course, um, the reg the reg number of the car would have been uh, known for a long time, since certainly since uh, Judge Henry Byron's uh, report in, back in two thousand and four. So, you know, we've, we've had some of that for quite some time and uh, we've also, Justice for the Forgotten, has had uh, copies of those uh, photo fits that you saw last night as well for a very long time. In fact, they've been up on our website, I think, for many years.
4: Okay. Uh, but 50 years on, it, it is very unusual for the Gardaí to make a, an appeal like this. Uh, why do you think uh, this is happening now?
6: Well, I mean, the reason that this is happening is because there is a full Garda investigation, a criminal investigation taking place. Uh this was preceded by a full review uh during t- 2021-22 and when that was complete new lines of inquiry were uh found and uh, the the um uh, the uh, chief con uh, the um the superintendent in Monaghan, Pat O'Connell, then uh, wanted to continue and to um, have a full investigation. And uh, this was approved by the um, the, um, the, the um, chief superintendent, uh, Alan McGovern, and also by the assistant commissioner, uh, Mr. Michael Gunn. Mm, and so that is why uh, this is part of the investigation now that they are um, seeking as much information as possible to assist in this investigation.
4: They seem clear in their own minds uh, as to who is responsible. And despite it being 50 years ago, I think they'd still be relatively young people.
6: Well, um, I don't think they know who is responsible. I think the whole idea is to try to find that out. Um But uh, I don't think they're relatively young people. They would certainly uh, be in their very late 60s, I Mm. would say, Mm. uh, and uh, indeed 70s at this stage, uh, if they're still alive.
4: Yeah, Yeah. well, that's what I meant by relatively young. And I have to say uh, I uh, I was shocked listening uh, to the ages of the people uh, who they believe were responsible uh, for this uh, atrocity and uh, indeed the death of 15-year-old Geraldine O'Reilly and 16-year-old mm-hmm. Patrick Stanley. We might just take a, a, another listen to some more of what the Chief Superintendent had to say.
1: Prior to the explosion, at approximately 9.50pm, a four-cartina was seen double parked outside Hunts Pharmacy on Main Street. It is believed that this was in fact a Lagoon Blue four-cartina, registration number BIA477, which was stolen from the main street that night. A witness gave a detailed description of the driver from which fortified number two was compiled. The witness also gave a description of the other occupants of this car. The first description read to the driver, who was a male, about 18 years old, five foot eight inches in height, thin build, long, thin, pale face, long, dark brown curly hair a very conspicuous nose, wearing a dark blazer, double-breasted, with wide lapels, collar, light-coloured shirt and a tie, and he wore a steel or silver band around his wrist. The second description is of a female. In the rear of the car, described as being about 18 or 19 years old, tall, blonde hair, coming down over her shoulders, parted in the centre and pushed away from her forehead. She was also described as being sharp-featured, pale complexion. Dressed in a long, dark red overcoat and polo neck pullover.
4: Chief Superintendent Alan McGovern, uh, again there, he went on to say that the other two men in uh, the back of uh, that car were very similar to the driver, maybe a little bit older, maybe about 20 years of age. But I, I really was um, taken aback uh, to think that 18 year olds, uh, an 18 year old male and an 18 year old woman uh, for that, Margaret, were out uh, trying to cause such terrible
0: destruction.
6: Well, I mean, the 18-year-old male—I think that would have been very common uh, on all sides at the time. Uh, the 18-year-old woman would certainly be extremely unusual. Uh, we've uh, we've only once come across uh, a woman as being involved in any attacks carried out, really, I suppose mostly by the Glen gang. We've only ever come across one woman who was in any way involved. So certainly that was a great surprise. I know it had been said that... Um the guard who stopped the car at Ahlai and thought there might have been a woman in the car, and uh, we probably put that down at the time to uh, thinking somebody who was long-haired might have been a woman. But uh, this uh, this description, uh, see, of the person seen in the car in the actual town of uh is seems very very clear and very definite that this was a woman getting into the. Um, the stolen car with the registration BIA 477. So, yes, that, that certainly is a surprise.
4: Okay, um, 50 years have passed, uh, but the guards uh, appear to be of uh, the opinion that there is...
5: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
4: somebody who has significant information and has had it all this time no doubt uh, but hasn't come forward and they're hoping that they will do that now
6: oh yes i mean uh, certainly i think there are a number quite a number of people still around still alive who would have full information on it. and uh, of course you know things may have changed over the years and people may be prepared to come forward now Fifty years later, who wouldn't have been uh, able to come forward uh, in the aftermath of the bombing? So let's hope that uh, there will be a positive outcome to this.
4: Mm, absolutely, and uh, yeah. justice uh, just for the families of uh, the two children.
6: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who've been fighting for so long? If I might, I'd just like to mention as well that obviously yesterday was also the 47th anniversary of the um, bombing of um, Kay's Tavern in Dundalk and the um, attack on Silver Bridge, Donnelly's Bar, Silver Bridge three hours later, a double attack by the, by the Glenan gang, which happened in uh, 75, 19th of December 75, so I'd just like to mention that as well
4: Oh absolutely, yeah uh, and uh, two fatalities at uh, that uh, bomb at Kay's Tavern, wasn't it?
6: two fatalities there and three fatalities in uh, Donnelly's Bar in Silverbridge.
4: Yeah. Uh, and uh, of course, I, I think uh, a lot of people were thinking about Patrick McCabe yesterday. Uh, That's who right. Who was seriously injured in clonus and then uh, died sometime afterwards
7: after falling off a roof, wasn't it?
6: No, I think he was killed instantly. Um, he was, um, he was, one of a number of workers who uh, were repairing the damage caused by the Clonus bomb, which exploded uh, 27 minutes before the Bell bomb. And uh, he he and other workers had been uh, trying to make the building safe for a number of days after the bombing. And it was on the 4th of January that uh, he... um, unfortunately fell from a ladder and i think he was actually killed instantly okay. so you know we we weren't really aware of patrick until very recently and uh you know his family feel forgotten because he left behind a widow and eight eight young children
4: yeah really <laughs> yeah it's a lot to take in. Uh, I'm sure uh, it, it couldn't have uh, been easy at all for that family. Dreadful, dreadful thing that goes back 50 years. But uh, do you believe we're uh, getting close towards justice?
6: I'm always optimistic, Michael, and uh, I'm very hopeful. And I think it is such a positive um, development that the Gardaí have really, uh, you know, taken the bit between their teeth and um called for a new investigation initiated a new investigation into this and maybe this can happen in other cases as well
4: Okay and we'll conclude uh, by hearing uh, from uh, the Chief Superintendent uh, who was inviting people to come forward yesterday if uh, they do have information but Margaret thank you indeed thank for joining you very us on the programme as always. That's Margaret Irwin of uh, the group Justice for the Forgotten
1: There are people out there who know who carried out these crimes they may not have been able to speak at that time or since Perhaps maybe they feel they are able to speak, With the passage of time, relationships may have changed, or as they're getting older, maybe they want to speak before an opportunity to do so is lost. I am asking them to make contact with the investigation team and to help Angara Chicana to try and get some answers for the families of those killed and for the victims, and for those who were injured in Bell Turbot, Clonus, or Pettigo. I ask anyone with information in relation to Bell Turbot, Clonus, or Pettigo bombings, or indeed any other bombing, to contact the Instant Drummond in Valley Connell Garda Station at 049 952 5580. The Garda Confidential Free Phone at 1800 666 six treble 1. Crime Stoppers 1800 250 025. Crime Stoppers Northern Ireland 0800 five treble 1. Thank you very
4: much. It really is incredible, isn't it, uh, that uh, that investigation is so Live fifty years on, uh, and uh, let's hope that it's uh, an investigation that concludes successfully. Uh, thanks to Patty, who was in touch with us, uh, by the way, about uh, the hospital in Navan, saying uh, that the ministers that didn't come onto the program tomorrow will be wondering if there'll be ministers tomorrow. Thank you indeed uh, for that. If you'd like to make comment on the program today, as always, we would love to hear from you. Our telephone number is zero four one nine eight three two thousand. That's 041 983 you can text or whatsapp us on 0861800658 if you want to text a comment or whatsapp it 0861800658 and you can email michael at lmfm.ie
3: The Michael Reed Show brought to you by Airgrid managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it
4: Now, the Oireachtas Committee on Gender Equality has uh, recommended uh, the government to implement uh, the recommendations that uh, has come to it from uh, the Citizens' Assembly on Gender Equality. What that means is uh, that there would be a referendum which would ask three different questions uh, about gender equality. But the one that stands out most of all is what's called Article 41.2. And there's been a lot of talk about Article 41 too, over a long period of time. In particular, it says, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved.
8: It was decided um, weeks after the referendum to repeal the 8th as the next important step uh, in advancing equality between men and women. Um, And I know it's taken quite some time to get to this point to have the Assembly and to have the Oireachtas Committee um, do its work and make its report, but certainly I can give you the commitment that this will very much be on the agenda or rather, what I should say is responding to the report, will be very much on the agenda of government in 2023, uh, and we will respond to the recommendations uh, in a structured way and and an early course. Um, I am in favour of constitutional change um, to uh, provide a modern definition of family in our constitution and also to remove uh, gendered language. Um, And um, I think it is extremely useful to have this report because... Uh, Referendums are easy to lose uh, and often hard to win, and the fact that we have a cross-party wording, I think, is very helpful in that regard. Um, I can't make a commitment today uh, on a referendum next year. It's something that will have to be discussed uh, with the new cabinet and with the new attorney general, but I can give you the commitment um, that this is work that uh, um, I really want to make progress on and follow through on. Um, This is Assembly. Uh, While I don't agree with every recommendation, I think it was a great body of work Uh, and does point the way forward and i know that your committee has built on that and uh, we want to make sure that we um, move this agenda forward next year and i would certainly commit to um, a structured response and a meaningful response to all the recognitions and all the recommendations in early course. All
4: right, that's the Taoiseach Leo Radker Let's uh, speak now to Sandra McCullough who is uh, the Women's Economic Equality Coordinator with uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. Good morning to you Sandra and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. I don't think it's overstating it to say uh, that this has uh, taken a, a significant step forward.
2: Good morning, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a really um, important development for gender equality. As you said, this has been kind of knocking around for some time now. It's, it's been an issue that the Women's Council and our members have been campaigning on for years. Um, it is a recommendation that uh, the Citizens' Assembly on Gender Equality, this group of um, kind of everyday citizens from all over the country, um, they made these set of recommendations to government um, and this development now, um, th- this report by the Soroktis Committee, I guess it, it brings us uh, another step closer to those recommendations becoming a reality.
4: Okay, and it's not that you want that clause deleted uh, from uh, the Constitution uh, as offensive as it may be to some women.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think there's the, the very general recognition that the clause as it currently stands is kind of outdated and discriminatory. And, you know, it uses very sexist language. But I suppose what, what we would like to see and what, uh, what this recommendation now uh, w- will bring forward is that we, we want to see a valuing of care in our constitution. But in its current kind of iteration, you know, it's really outdated. It doesn't recognize kind of the different roles that, that women have in, in, a, in our modern society. It also doesn't recognise the, the work that men do as carers and, and doesn't recognise that men have, you know, responsibilities and duties as, in, in terms of care. And it doesn't recognise the kind of, um, you know, it, it's very much a definition of a family. It's a very outdated definition of a family, which is mm. kind of this kind of two-parent two kind of model where the woman stays home. doesn't recognise the reality of kind of, you know, lone parents, LGBTQ families and, and that kind of thing. But what 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 this recommendation? Uh, what's really important about it is that it will amend, um, so it will replace and amend um, that that valuing of care in the constitution. So it will continue to recognise the value and importance of care, but it will do it in a much more uh, inclusive way. Um, that 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 kind of you know it brings in kind of all the modern forms of family we have, and also recognises that care doesn't just take place in the home. Care takes place outside the home as wow. well uh, you know paid unpaid care it's a really broad uh, recognition of the value of care and we saw that i thought during the pandemic that you know care really was it's like the, the backbone of our functioning kind of society and economy uh, in terms of the work that child care workers do home care workers and care in the home so, so this this kind of recommendation um, will we'll kind of value uh, care in a more inclusive way.
4: Okay, but but it will still relate, will it not, for the most part, at least, to women, because it's yes. predominantly women who provide care.
2: Well, that's that, that's interesting. Yeah, I thought it, it's to make it a little bit more gender neutral. But in mm. practice, yes, absolutely, you're right. Women continue to kind of bear primary responsibility for care. And so what's really important about this report is that it makes the recommendations on the, constitutional, uh, on the Constitution, which, you know, it's a foundational document really important that our values as a society. But what this report and what the Citizens' Assembly delivered as well are a whole set of other practical recommendations that can help to shift that balance of care. So, for example, they also included recommendations on a universal public model of childcare, um, they included recommendations on improving parental leave, on, on ensuring that lone parents have equal access to parental leave. So again, things like that and, and, and kind of increased payments for parental leave, they're really important to shift that balance, so that men uh, take up parental leave, they get more involved in, in care work. So there's a whole series of recommendations to make that a reality as wow. well.
4: But it, it requires a cultural change, does it not?
2: Absolutely. And and, and mm. yeah, I mean, and, and the Constitution is that document I suppose it's kind of the highest law on the land. It, it sets our values uh, as, as a society so, that, so it's really important that it's in there in that foundational document but all those practical recommendations those recommendations around education and awareness, uh, around starting that from school uh, from early years from school and, and, and kind of trying to shift that uh, cultural expectation that we still have um, that kind of women are responsible for, for care.
4: Mm. Uh, that's a, if they can afford to give that care, uh, because quite often it's unpaid, isn't it?
2: Absolutely, and again, there's a whole series of recommendations uh, around paid and unpaid care. Uh, there's a whole series of recommendations around ensuring people can provide care, and um, ensuring that the social welfare system supports people to provide care, Support people in transition in and out of paid work, and then also support care workers. Because as we know, I mean, we've talked a lot again over the past couple of years around uh, how little we value the paid care workforce. You know, the child care workers, some really important developments over the last year for child care workers in terms of getting a pay scale for the first time. But this report advances that even further because it makes even more recommendations to be, to build on those developments to ensure that. Uh, the the paid care workforce, whether it's in child care or whether it's in uh, elder care, and that they have a pay structure including pensions, maternity leave, those kind of pieces, that will also enable that that, that workforce to be sustainable over time as well.
4: Okay. Uh, There seems to be very little in in, uh, the way of holding a a constitution. Uh, There seems to be consensus on this uh, and that Uh, The clause is outdated and sexist and doesn't belong in our constitution and should be amended uh, because, uh, as we mentioned, the Oireachtas Committee have endorsed uh, the recommendations from the Citizens' Assembly. But the Constitutional Convention, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission and the UN Committee on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women have all made exactly the same recommendations, have they not?
2: They have. That's right. Um, so I suppose you know, like you say, that it, this this has been going around for a while, and and every time we have a conversation on this, um, it it comes back with the same response that people just you know recognize the need to kind of am- amend it rather than just to do away with it. When we don't want to do it away. It's important that the constitution recognises care, so that's why we need to amend it to do it in in a way that's more inclusive. So I suppose. You know, uh, as the Taoiseach, um uh, said there in your clip, I mean it's really important now that this is cross-party support. Um, you know, first of all, we had this re- you know representative group of citizens sit and spend a year listening to all of this evidence and come up with this uh, this conclusion. And now, over the past year, we've had this erotic committee, which is made up of, of um, representatives of all the parties, and they've again come to this kind of a unanim- unanimous kind of view that mm. um, the- this is what's what needs to
4: happen we need to you know replace article 41.2 Okay Uh, well uh, what we're talking about is 41.21 what about 41.22 which says uh, that uh, the state will endeavour to ensure mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home
2: yeah, so it's all, it's all part of the same kind of piece. That, that again, what the recommendation, um, what the recommendation has uh, kind of set out is that there will be a whole uh, kind of series of support for people. It recognises kind of care inside and outside of the home, and um, it, it says that the state should take reasonable measures to support that. Um, so I suppose again you have all those other series of recommendations that come in there, which is around supporting people through the social protection system, supporting people uh, through parental leave, for example. Like, at the moment... um, you know our, parent, our, our paid parental leave system in Ireland uh, is probably among the worst in, in Europe in terms of the, 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 the amount of time that people get for paid leave and just the, 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 the payment, I suppose, that people get. It doesn't make it a reality. But those things like that, those practical measures that can support people to, to be able to take that time to care in the home, to, to look after their kids, but also to be able to stay connected to the, to the workforce and, 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 and so on.
4: Okay. we we'll leave it there for the moment. It looks like we'll be voting on it uh, at some stage. Possibly next year, is that what you'd uh, figure based on what we heard from? Yeah, at
2: the moment, and, and as, as the teacher there said, that there is, we, we recognise that there, you know there is a, a, a kind of process, I suppose, um, in bringing about a referendum and there's a job of work um, for the government. Um, the Electoral Commission and so on. So I thought we're, we're, we're hoping to hear um, more about that in the new year um, as, as kind of uh, has have, have time to kind of digest the reports and, and, and that.
4: Okay Sandra, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining Thank us on the programme this morning. Sandra McCullough, Women's Economic Equality Coordinator with the Na- National Women's Council of Ireland. Now we were talking a- about the move to close the emergency department and with it ICU in Our Ladies Hospital in Navan taught. Uh, we've got a, a different perspective on this with a, a letter that was published in the Irish Times on Monday of this week from Patrick Bro. And it, it says I uh, refer uh, to a report in uh, the Irish Times uh, which uh, reported uh, that Navan was set to receive 50% fewer ambulances uh, and uh, that John Ryan, the chairman of Mead Council of Trade Unions and uh, a long time hospital candidate, Campaigner, stated that there was a need for an emergency department near Tara Mines due to the risk of an industrial accident. Navin General Hospital is the least suitable hospital to treat victims of an industrial accident. accident. By Mr Ryan's way of thinking, there should be a fully equipped and staffed emergency department in every town in Ireland with a major industrial complex. In order to decrease early mortality and improve survivor outcome, the equipment, technology and medical expertise needs to be concentrated into a small number of large hospitals, which is exactly what the Trauma Strategy Group is doing in Ireland at present. In relation to what's appropriate and feasible for Navin General Hospital, it would be far better that he and his fellow campaigners support the local and national healthcare experts to reconfigure the hospital to provide safe care to appropriate patients commensurate with the available resources and staff. There's nothing more stressful for healthcare personnel than trying to treat seriously ill or injured patients in the absence of appropriate resources and expert backup. Allow the healthcare experts to get on with their important work of making Navin Hospital a safer place for patients. As I say, that's a letter that was published in the Irish Times on Monday of this week that was written by Patrick Bro,
3: Michael at lmfm.ie The Michael Reid Show brought to you by Airgrid. Managing and planning the national grid so that everyone has electricity when and where they need it.
4: Uh, Thanks uh, to Ollie who's in Dundalk and on the phone to us. uh, He says he'd like to point out uh, that uh, the old Dunn Stores building in Park Street in Dundalk has been lying empty for 20 years. Uh, is there any way the council could make it livable for Ukrainians? It's an interesting idea, Oli. Thank you indeed uh, for the call. If uh, you do want to call us yourself, if uh, you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us, it's oh four one nine eight three two thousand text or WhatsApp oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. We're going to uh, go back uh, to some of uh, the concerns of uh, teachers parents and indeed children I think uh, in Skull were in RD, an issue that we've been talking about uh, quite a, a bit on the programme over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's an issue that was raised once again in the Dáil last week by Fine Fergus so O'Dowd.
9: Can I just raise a point in relation to the four schools in RD? Uh, three of them have desh, desh status. One of them, Skull their appeal for desh status has been refused. The outcome means that there are 288 girls in this school who are excluded from additional educational supports and indeed school meals. These benefits apply to other primary schools in the town of Ardee. And indeed, 60%, 6 out of 10 of these girls, have siblings in other Desh schools. And their appeal is being turned down. Is there a way, can be found, to review again this decision? Because it seems to me and to the families that there seems to be a gender inequality somewhere, an unintended one, but one that is there nevertheless, that these 288 girls are denied what all the other boys in primary schools in RD have.
2: As you'll be aware, one in four schools uh, have now dashed status. Uh, it was increased significantly in the budget, uh, there was also significant uh, expansion of the hot school meals program, both to primary and to post-primary schools, uh, along with another a, a number of other uh, different uh, initiatives to help parents who have school-going children. Uh, however, in relation to uh, DESH, there is an appeal mechanism there. I understand that the school that you're referencing has already appealed um, I can bring it to the attention of the department if you wish to speak with me uh, in relation to
5: it afterwards, actually.
4: Right, and that's uh, the Minister, Josephine Madigan, uh, responding to Ferguson O'Dowd in the Dáil last week. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a, a number of incidents which Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Paddy Smith joins us for the report this week, and thank you indeed for doing so. We're going to begin in Dunboyne and a burglary that occurred on the 15th of December.
7: Good morning, Michael. Yes, on the fifteenth of December between nine forty AM and ten PM at a private residence at Holsteiner Park in Dunboyne. Uh, it was forced to be entered by entering by through the rear window. Uh, the home was entered and unfortunately was ransacked with a large amount of jewellery taken. Uh, this particular residence is actually within a gated community can, which can only be accessed by residents. So my colleagues have conducted local house-to-house inquiries and the seam is technically examined. And we are seeking local assistance of any person that may have seen anything suspicious or out of place in the area. I would ask that they contact my colleagues at Ashburn Guard Station on oh one eight zero one zero six zero zero or the Garda Confidential Line on one.
4: And a second burglary that occurred on Thursday of last week, uh, this uh, one in Bellustown.
7: Yes, again, on the 15th of December, um, another house was broken into between 6.15pm and 7.40am at a residence in Bellistown in County Mead, which was forcibly entered through the front door. Uh, fortunately, again, the house was ransacked and uh, various items, again, including jewellery, was also taken. So, the usual, I'm looking for any local assistance or any person seen anything suspicious or out of place in the area. i would contact my colleagues at Laytown Garda Station on 041. 981-3320 or the Garda Confidential line again on 1800 trouble one.
4: Next to Hardman's Gardens in Drogheda and some criminal damage to a number of cars and this happened over a number of days was it?
7: Yes that's correct. Um, between the 13th and the 15th of December a number of vehicles were damaged and forced be entered in the Hardman's Gardens estate in Drogheda. The, the incident on the 13th occurred after 8pm whilst the incident on the 15th occurred during daylight hours now, Draw the Gardaí have carried out a number of local inquiries. Uh, they've gathered CCTV and they've spoken with local persons and vehicles who may have been in the area. But we're, again, we're seeking more information from the local community and even if you're in possession of any such information, to contact my colleagues at Draw the Garda station on 041 987 4200 or again, the Garda Confidential line, one Six Trouble
4: One. Another burglary to report on. Now, this one occurred on Saturday in Dunleer.
7: Yes, on the 17th of December, a burglary occurred in another private residence at Marvel, Dunleer, County Loud. This occurred between 855 and 1920. So the entry was gained through a rear bedroom window. Again, a substantial amount of property was taken. My colleagues have conducted house house inquiries and have gathered CCTV which shows the offending vehicle leaving in the direction of Clar Head. Uh, if you saw, if you're in the area at the time, you saw anything suspicious, to contact my colleagues at drada on 041 or again the Garda confidential line 1800 trouble six trouble one.
4: And we go to Ashburn next, uh, where it appears uh, somebody set a, a truck on fire on Saturday.
7: Yes, uh, on the 17th December at town in Ashburn County, Mead, a Renault truck was the subject of a deliberate arson attack, with the vehicle being completely destroyed. Uh, CCTV shows two males setting the vehicle alight between 2.30am and 3.15am. We're seeking the public assistance and if you have any information about this crime to contact the detective unit at Ashbourne Garda Station on 01. Eight zero one zero six zero zero or the guarded confidential line again one eight
4: hundred trouble six trouble one. Thank you indeed, Sergeant Paddy Smith will return to the guarded Crime Desk in around uh, the same time on the third of January, uh, but uh, that's uh, the last uh, list of uh, reports uh, for this year. You're going to stay with us though because I, I think you've uh, some important information to give to people uh, coming into the Christmas period and uh, some uh, reason for pe- people to be cautious uh, and we'll come back uh, and hear about uh, some of uh, that uh, advice uh, that you're offering to people just after this break.
3: The Michael Reed Show with Airgrid. Managing and developing the National Electricity Grid so that it's fit for our current needs and ready for our future ones.
4: Now as we said uh, before the break uh, Sergeant Paddy Smith has uh, stayed with us because uh, there's some advice Sergeant that you wanted to give to people going into the Christmas period and the reason for this is that you've seen an increase in a, a number of incidents and one of those is the theft of items from vehicles
7: yes uh, michael and thanks for the invitation coming in um we've noticed a significant increase in theft from parked vehicles in the last number of weeks and obviously this is going to be extremely uh, especially prevalent coming into the christmas week so i just want to hear to say when you're parking your vehicle in public areas um just to bear in mind a few things And it's always the small things, really, that are the most prevalent. You know, sure, your windows are closed, your your doors are locked, um, your alarm is set. One of the big things as well, too, especially with Christmas shopping this week, is do not leave property on view inside your vehicle. Cash, debit cards, any valuable items.
4: Mm. Or the Christmas shopping.
7: Absolutely, Mm. yeah. Yeah, which Mm. is, as I said, is most Mm. prevalent this week. You know, if you are going to store any items, please store it in a secure location, out of sight, more than Mm. likely in the boot. But when you're doing so, just... You know, be very conscious of where you park your vehicle. Avoid parking in isolated places at night time, and park in well lit, lit up areas. And I is it's coming to this time of the week now as well. So we just want to be just to highlight that to mm. our listeners here today.
4: Yeah, and um, it's just a nightmare if somebody breaks your window uh, as well. Apart from what's gone, you've all the hassle of clearing up and getting it sorted out, and you don't do that very quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, we also are going to talk uh, about members of uh, the public. Uh, gangsters I suppose uh, impersonating members of Ungardish Siakana you've seen a lot of this in recent months
7: yes we have and one of my main reasons for being here is just to highlight the appeal again uh, I know we've had six incidents of criminals purporting to be members of Ungardish Siakana now the word seems to have got out that only one of them has been successful so in essence Michael what it is it's a, a scam um, these guys criminals are purporting to be plainclothes detectives um, they're very plausible they're very manor- mannerly um, they will call to your front or your back door um, they're specifically targeting our elderly community living in rural areas um, thankfully in Ireland there's a lot of trusts with the mm. public within Gardaí Siocana and these criminals are preying on that trust and the scam in what they're doing is they're arriving to your front door with a bundle of 50s and they're saying to the homeowner, number one we have a guy arrested in the patrol car out here can you go check your money or number two we're after finding money on your driveway can you go in and check is that your money and in essence what they're doing then is they're looking for the invitation into the house and I must stress it's not by force it's by invitation and if the homeowner invites these guys in one guy will obviously distract the homeowner and search the more likely the bedroom or the they'll just go to the purse, take the money and they're gone within seconds. Mm. So I'm here to reiterate and highlight again that the guards will never call to your home yeah. looking for cash.
4: Mm. But uh, you can understand why people would let them in if uh, somebody was at your door like that with a wad of money saying, is this yours? Yes. Uh, and it's uh, well worth uh, repeating it for people that um, that's commonplace now so be very very suspicious if that does happen
7: Absolutely and what we you know Mead is blessed with two main motorways running through it Uh, it gives great accessibility but also gives opportunities for travelling criminals to come both from the north and south of the Mm. county Um, but my advice would be if there's a person calling to your door that you do not know what we call them cold callers you don't expect them to be at your door do not let them in Mm. Um, if you need to speak to them bring them over to a window that you can see them do not open the door to them. Mm. If they're purporting to be members of a Garda Shukana, look for their identification. Do uh, these
4: fellows tend to have identification?
7: They seem to be kind of flashing this, some sort of a badge, but not actually showing the identification. Right. And, you know, if you're not happy, mm. don't let them in. Ring mm. your local Garda station. If it is a real Garda, they will be patient. They will wait for you to ascertain and mm. confirm their identity. But, you know, chain locks, that sort of stuff, keeping your back door locked keeping your front door locked whilst inside the house Mm. Uh, just be very aware of your surroundings Uh, from my my point of view calling to the victims of crime these guys seem to be targeting rural locations the elderly community and interestingly enough houses built in the 20s or 30s that I can imagine that these guys believe that there's an older generation living in the house that was previously their family home, and they're specifically targeting this sort of clientele. Yeah, mm,
4: and I think there's an awful lot of people who would have great respect for the guards and wouldn't want to do something to offend a guarder. Would it be offensive to ask for identification or to say, I'm not letting you in until I ring the police station?
7: Absolutely. It's your home. You do not let anyone into your home that you don't want uh, or you don't trust or you mm. don't know. If they are guardy, they will show you identification. They will ask you to ring their local guard station to confirm their identity. I mean, you're, it's your home. You know, it's our castle. You know, you got to look mm. after it. And as I said, these guys are preying on the trust, especially of the elder generation, uh, who would always have the front and back door open to let neighbours in. It's that. It's just the way they were reared back in that times. But we're now saying, please, just if you're unsure just dial 999. Do not let anybody into your house that you don't feel or you don't want inside. You're okay. not
4: comfortable with. <laughs> Right. Uh, it's a, a bizarre situation, I, I think, uh, for people. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you, you also want to talk about home security uh, as well, apart uh, from uh, that scenario with people purporting to be members of Angardish economy. You have a lot of people trying to get access to your house.
7: Yeah, and especially, this will be more prevalent again coming up to Christmas week, uh, I was only sitting down with my kids there uh, during the week and we looked at one of our favourite Christmas movies Home Alone and uh, there's a great scene in it there where um, Kevin is only eight or nine years of age and these guys are trying to break into the house mm. and what he done was he put on a fake party and in essence what he was doing he was showing that there was life in the property I mean the COVID burglary rate almost hit the floor went mm. to zero yeah. simply because there was people in their house Everyone was there was home. life yeah. in their mm. house mm the majority of burglars do not want confrontation. They want to get in and out of your house but mm. no especially when it's vacant. So my message simply is a few checklists. I mean uh, lock don't, up. Don't leave the back door open. Don't leave the back door <laughs> Even up. if you've done it all your life. Yeah, I'm actually the operation tour and one of the biggest messages is light up and lock up. Mm. I know we're living in an energy crisis I totally understand that but from my point of view uh, especially around the Christmas time is show life in your property. Be the Kevin of Home Alone. Uh, if you have neighbours you know if you're leaving to see loved ones over the Christmas period put a forward plan in place have neighbours call your house have cars that are easily moved the biggest time actually for Christmas is the bins it's a big show of say kids have got stuff from Santee there's boxes outside that have been emptied or that have been emptied and have been removed these are sorts of stuff that I would point out I mean the majority of burglaries occur to the rear of the property and interestingly enough if you're living in a bungalow where would you think is the most common place to break into a bungalow?
4: Where would I think? Yeah, <laughs> just, just <laughs> a, you know. Yeah, uh, the back window, is it? Yeah,
7: right? it's yeah. The, basically the open window of the downstairs toilet. Okay. We naturally mm. leave the open window for let out natural odours and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Mm. But unfortunately, mm. that window is left open and it's most <laughs> common area in okay. bungalows. So mm. I'm just asking our listeners to think like a burglar. Yeah. You know, if you're going away if you've lost the key of your house, how am I going to get into my house? Is there something there that's left open, uh, that's not secure? Is there a garage left open, you know, that an implement can be used? Uh, we just got to be more aware. COVID for me uh, showed what the agency of the state, what community spirit is all about. The GA clubs were fantastic. The public health nurses were great. The guards were great as well too. We all worked together to identify the vulnerable people in our society. So I'm especially asking over the Christmas period just to be wary of those vulnerable people and be wary of your home security.
4: Very good. Thank you indeed, Sergeant Paddy Smith. I hope you have a peaceful Christmas and uh, uh, please pass on that uh, sentiment to all of your colleagues and thank you indeed uh, for joining us, uh, the Guard Crime Desk returns in January. Our next program is tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
3: 086-1800-658
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.